you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast is trying to outlast Brady's career. From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's the Around the NFL Podcast. I'm Dan Hansis, joined by Greg Rosenthal. And Greggy, listen, not every week is going to be filled with diamonds, okay? I wouldn't say it's filled with rocks either. Week four, Sunday, there were some good moments. But what we really needed was a great Sunday night game and the drama of the Pats and Tom Brady and the reunion. And it's that special, Greg, that we're actually going to start the show with a little Sunday night football today. How about that? It is not every week, but, it, you know, it's not every week that the greatest quarterback of all time returns to his home. And, yeah, you got to give him the respect. And they showed up in a game in a week where I think there was like five, six, seven, like great looking matchups and hipster doofuses like me were kind of like, oh, Bucks Patriots. It's not even like one of the better games of the week. Actually, it ended up being way better than all of those games. Right. You could you could kind of get uh, bored of the build up to a game like this and the way NBC was putting all their prof- prof- professional might behind and promotional might behind making this thing as big as possible. It and, worked. And getting all these uh, actors, I think, uh, from <laughs> New England, various people uh, to be part of their uh, campaign. But at the end of the day, the teams needed to play the game and the game was a good one. So before we get to all the Sunday uh, week four action, let us start with the last game. And it went down in Gillette. Way. It is off the goalpost. No good. Off the goalpost. No good. That is rough for you, Rick. So I can't tell you, Greg, how many times as a I'm gonna call myself a Tom Brady hater, but somebody who suffered at the hands of Brady. Um for so many years, it would always get me mad that, yes, Tom Brady's great, and yes, the Patriots do it the right way, and they just know how to win, but it always felt like in so many instances, instances, the team they were playing would make a decision late <laughs> that would just drive you nuts, like, oh, Brady is so charmed. He has such a charmed life. And isn't it ironic, when he goes back to Foxborough for the first time, Greggy, that that happens again. Tom Brady is on the right side of what felt to me um, a situation where the opposing team, when it mattered most, made a bad decision. In this case, to me, it was going for the field goal with Nick Folk, a 56-yarder in driving rain with a bad plant leg. And uh, instead of going for it on fourth and three, it hits the upright. Final score, Bucks 19, Pat 17. Icy quick handshake at the end of the game between Brady and Belichick. I'm kind of into it, Greg, but also <laughs> it's just Tom Brady. What a blessed life it's been. I mean, if you want to like drive down narrative street, let's do it. Bill Belichick in the biggest moment of the biggest you know game of this season for them, and, and certainly his biggest moment as a coach, I think, in this season, blinked. He kind of choked. He 
had a pretty obvious decision. We were st- sitting there in the film room. You know, I was next to you. We'll, we'll get to that. That was close enough. And I didn't think it was even a decision. You know, when it was third and three, and they got about a minute plus left, I said, oh, uh, suddenly it's like they got to get three yards here or else it's one play and the game is over. It, they tip the pass at the line of scrimmage. It's fourth and three. And I say, okay, you need three yards to keep the game going. I didn't think it's a decision because anyone that's watched Nick Folk, who's hit 35 straight over the last year, knows that the Patriots don't even line him up outside of 50 because that's just not the kind of kicker that he is anymore. And then anyone that's watched this game down the stretch thought, the Bucks don't have any players in the secondary. They're missing literally their top four players in the secondary. They're missing their starters. Mac Jones is moving the ball pretty well. You get lucky with a couple calls on that final drive, but ultimately you have to have some confidence in a kid that just hit 19 straight throws. 19. And more important than all of this, you would have left Tom Brady all the time in the world and two timeouts to go kick a game-winning field goal the other way. So I didn't even think it was a decision. I was stunned to see uh, Nick Folk coming out there. And it, it continued uh, a number of mental mistakes that this Patriots team has made throughout the course of this season, including the timeout that they took uh, on the drive before when they couldn't substitute right. That's happened two or three times. This Patriots team, as as hard and as well they played at times tonight, uh, has been very sloppy. They lose the turnover battle two to nothing, and it didn't feel like they deserved to win that game. You need a coach that can oh, be cool under pressure, and he wait, wasn't in this. What, spot. So you're saying fire Belichick? No. That, see, there's your narrative. He's just Get bad in that moment. Um, bad in that moment. The only but perfect. It. The only perfect thing for the Patriots was NBC's coverage of Steve Belichick's sideline shots. <laughs> Give me more of it. I don't know what's going on with that guy, but I love him. Um, yeah, I mean, this the the shame of it is. Uh, for Belichick is you were if if Nick Folk who you know it should be stated it's not like he was so out of his depth on that kick in terms of range that he was missed it by seven yards and it hit the end zone he hit the pipe he hit the pipe and it fell the wrong way uh, but it it still was a very difficult make uh, in the Brady would have gone Brady would have gone back and and won the game that's my problem with it well maybe he would have but yeah Mac Jones considering um what he had done in this game, 31 of 40, 275, two touchdowns, one interest. I really like Mac Jones. I like so much of what I've seen. I know he he struggled last week a little bit, but I, I think he would have been a guy. I would have felt comfortable giving him the game in that spot at fourth and three, but Belichick's not there yet. And I'm sure if Tom Brady was his quarterback in that spot, Tom's probably going for it there in fourth and three. It's not Nick Folk for 56. So they're in the process. Listen, it's a transition. You got to have England. a feel for the game that you're in. Hey, and I know they're trying to play this specific style, but in that moment, it didn't feel like he had a feel for what, what the game that and he was the, in. The frustration for Belichick and, and he never really rele- reveals anything on the sideline, but you saw his face would drop when they hit the, the upright. He had done such a great job overall. Tom Brady, the big story, and everyone thought it was the prediction for everyone. That's why Greg locked up the Bucks, and congratulations, buddy, on your big uh, He locked it up. Yikes. But uh, <laughs> Tom Brady, everyone thought was going to go in there and shred the Patriots, and I know the weather played a role, I guess, but 22 of 43, 269. He does not throw a touchdown in his return to New England. He gets the all-time passing yardage record from Drew Brees, but they did a great job keeping Brady off kilter and from get, kept him from getting into a rhythm and 
Mac Jones on the other side. If you would have told me Brady doesn't throw a touchdown, Mac Jones uh, has 19 straight completions at one point. Uh, you're, I'm telling you, the Patriots win. So it's just and they hold the Bucks under 20. It's hold the Bucks under 20 points. It's just a little that I know it's nonsense to all the diehard analytics people and everything. There's a little bit of that Brady magic involved. And it's just to see it be done to New England in New England was interesting to me. I mean, it was fascinating. I mean, for this game to happen at all, I I, I guess I wasn't looking forward to it. I'm glad it, it's over. Um, but it also just reminded me of how, like, blessed and ridiculous the last two decades have been as a Patriots fan. And to just, like, be grateful. Uh, you don't know how long this life is going to be. Just be grateful that you got that as a sports fan and even got a night like this because – Right now, the Patriots might not be involved in many big Sunday night. The entire NFL is watching, and you're surprising. I'm just saying, like, right now, this team, and they were surprising. This was the ultimate. I said they've been trying to turn it back to 2001, and this was a 2001 type of game. They had some conviction. They didn't, you know, run the ball basically the whole night. They ended up with negative running yardage because they had a game plan that made some sense. They started out with Mac Jones playing hurry up and spread in the very first drive. It was a statement of intent. Uh, they're, we're not going to run the ball against Vita Vea and Sue. This is the way we think we're going to win. It gives us the best chance. And you know what? It worked. And they mixed up all those coverages. Everything was playing pretty well. Did it work? I mean, defensively, I think it worked oh, I for mean, the most part. Offensively, I mean, to eight carries for negative one yards. You're punting on that side of the ball entirely without even, it seems like not even testing the running game. And then poor J.J. Taylor becomes the latest Patriot running back to f- lose a fumble. I mean, it should be said on the four, you know. on the seven attempts to run they did have, they gained four yards. And that, that was, or actually, no, they gained uh, negative one yards. And that was Aguilar. So, I mean, their running backs literally had right. negative yardage for the game. What I mean is, like, all the coverage changing and everything that they did to try to slow down Brady. Like, in theory, it worked, and it, and it did work. For the most part. But Brady missed a ton of throws in the first half that were there. He also hit some gems, but he seemed a little hyped up for the game. They had him scrambled. And the reality is, even though it came down to that kick, like Tom Brady threw the game-winning pass. He made the play to win the game that everyone will remember from this game. Antonio Brown just dropped it. The first time, he couldn't see it. And the second time, he dropped it. Tom Brady threw one of the best passes, you know, he could possibly throw. That should have been the last throw he ever made at Foxborough, and it goes right off of Antonio Brown's hands. The Patriots, to me, were very fortunate to have that opportunity. They got a couple lucky calls uh, in that final drive. They got a couple lucky breaks, I thought, throughout the game uh, where they got penalties or that the, the Bucks missed out on some open players or some opportunities. So, to me, like, things were going right for them until the very end when they went wrong. And as far as Tampa Bay goes, so they move to 3-1. and one. They bounce back after uh, the loss to the Rams last week. They do have a lot of problems, though, and it's just something to keep an eye on, especially on defense. Carlton Davis, uh, he got carded with a – I don't know if he got carded, actually, but he left with a quad injury and was Didn't immediately ruled out, and that does not look good. Antoine Winfield Jr., he leaves in the second half with an injury. They've already, they were already down enough cornerbacks that Richard Sherman is playing snaps uh, for this team, someone who had been out of football for months and months. Uh, so they have a lot of issues in their back end, and that is going to continue to be a challenge for them. But this is just one of those games where, hey, it, you're not going to get a lot of style points, uh, but you got the W and you get the hell out of there and uh, try to regroup. Uh, but 
you know, last my last thought is, I mean, come on, Bill. Listen, I'm a competitor too. I don't I don't care if it's wiffle ball or if it's an intramural basketball or co-ed softball. Like I'm a competitor, and like after a game, I'm not going to be chummy with everyone. But it, it's all connected. Like he can't can't meet Tom at midfield and like share a moment with him. He can't do it. It has to be. Hey, good job, Tom, and then run the other way. Ricky, where, did, where were he your takes on that? He ran to get to him. He ran from the – he gave him a hug. He, it's cold and rainy and oh, wet. Geez. And he gave him a hug and that's left. What, what do you Ricky, want that's him, a disgrace. What do you want him to do? Here, Actually, how about have a little conversation and understand the magnitude of, of your bond and what you did together? Why does – maybe there's something it's after – bigger than that, though. Like, you think anything to do with their bond is going to be a factor in, like, what the outside world thinks in that moment? If if they have it, and I believe that they do, like it doesn't mean anything. That's yeah, for but show. The, the Josh McDaniels embrace was beautiful. Well, that was there <laughs> that was, was actually some feeling there. Yeah. Well, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. And you could poo poo it and say it doesn't matter what the public sees. It's what's happening. Like as if well, they're in like a deep a and loving. Take, I know. Like, like they're in like a argue. deep and loving embrace in the tunnel right now. No, no man. My, there's some, my there's point some is, whatever connection that there. they have with each other, they know. It's like they have an understanding. Tom Brady knows who Bill Belichick is after the game. You think Tom Brady's going over if they lose that game and making like a heartfelt hug to Bill Belichick? No, he's no. the same bad loser as Bill Belichick. Like they know it, and it, it, it it's not something that they're going to take personally. Maybe it's the deep sadness that they both know they should still be together. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I thought this game was going to be a bloodbath. So just the fact that it came down to a final kick, like this was more than I could have expected, and I had a wonderful Sunday night watching. All it. right, I'm glad you're taking that. Yeah, I was that, excited. That, a lot to road. see, That's a good, lot Ricky. to like from Mac Jones, and the defense like really did scramble Brady. So that was that's you the know, thing though. All like you can ask for. for all the credit that Mac Jones got from Chris Collinsworth, and and he does seem ahead of the game in in certain ways. It's like they were missing their top four players yeah. in the in the secondary. And you had a chance to go win the game, right? But it's let them go it's win the it. Twenty twenty one. go win it. New York, uh, New England Patriots. Like what? There, what? It doesn't matter. And people should know, by the way, that the trash, we, trash, bro. Um, I did save a spot for Greg to sit next to me in the NFL Network theater to watch the second half of this game. I even got him a water actually this time, and I kind of cleared the even dusted it off a little bit the table you're drinking it right now it, well because you it never, didn't go to any use i'll tell you that talk you, about you know performing for the public greg rolls in and i'm i'm seated at you know chair five and i have chair six chair seven chair eight greg's at chair nine there were 10 people in there Everyone is sitting five feet apart because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And also, when you're in a nice big place, you all sit a little bit apart. We were all talking and joking the whole time. Talk about uh, doing it for show. You didn't tell me that was my water. I could have used the water, but you sent it out on Twitter. I didn't even know until after the game because I wasn't checking it. I think it it goes without, especially after last week's, you know, really disappointing situation. (laughs) Chair seven was your spot. But for you to go chair nine, chair 11... We're in the same row. We're talking. You're as icy as Belichick after a salty defeat. There's 15 people talking. We're honking the whole time. We're giving analysis. We're cracking jokes. MJD's there. And Dan's sending these little tweets out and not even telling me because I'm not not paying attention to social media during the game. I'm all ball. I know you're all ball, but how about some... (laughs) Uh, traditional male bonding. We did it. We were that? cracking jokes until you until you just want to do a bit at the end of the game, like it's pretending not it's not it's something not a bit. that it wasn't. Chair seven was yours, but you chose not to take it. 
All right, we're on the flight to London on Tuesday. If if everything is wide open on that plane, we could each have our own row. No, I'm gonna sit right next to you because that's what you do uh, when there's <laughs> wide open seats everywhere. You just you just sit right next to him and say, "Hey, is that my water?" I mean, I now assume that's just, your water. Now you're just you know piling on. You're, you've hurt me, and now you're trying to <laughs> yeah Greg, humiliate just apologize. me. Just say sorry. For this, I won't. I apologize for locking up uh, the Bucks. That I do apologize. What a mistake! I will not. I will not do such a thing uh, again. All right, let's move on. Let's check in now with the rest of the Sunday action played under the sunlight. What? <laughs> Starting with a game played. <laughs> no one has ever. People say under the moonlight. No one's ever actually said under the sunlight until this moment. Very proud moment for my. Uh, in my broadcasting career, I have to say, Greg. What game was under the sunlight? I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> well, let's start across the sidewalk at SoFi's Ooh. Stadium. Whose house is this? Kyler's house. house. Oh. Wow. That wasn't even playing. Marion shotgun. Snap to Kyler. <laughs> Short set. Moving to his right a little bit. Now throwing deep. Far side. And it's pulled in at the five-yard line by A.J. Green. Into the end zone for the touchdown. A.J. Green just too strong, too big, too athletic. Oh, my goodness. A.J. Green making plays. You know you're in trouble, Rams Nation. Day passed with the call, Cardinals Radio Network. Kyler Murray passed for 268 yards and two touchdowns, including that pass to A.J. Green. And by the way, I, I back off, Greg. A.J.'s been, he's been a net gain so far for that offense. Anyway, another MVP-level performance from Kyler, but this whole team steps up. Uh, the Cardinals remain un- unbeaten with a 37-20 trouncing of the Rams in Los Angeles. And, uh, Greg, this is a game, you know, again, not to keep mentioning this, but it does for what we do for a living. It just jumps out at you when we talk about all these things that we're worried about entering the season. He thinks, ooh, this guy better get his act together because he's not so good. <laughs> well, Cliff Kingsbury is a guy that got plenty of uh, criticism and doubts heading into the season. And he just went into L.A. against a very good Rams defense. And he he saw his guys put up 465 and, and just take it to the Rams. How about that? They could have put a 40-burger on him. Uh, they had a chance, like, early in the fourth quarter to do so. Uh, and you're right. Before the season, it wasn't just us, like, kind of wondering about Clint Kingsbury. It was Everyone putting them last place in the division. Right. And here they are, 4-0. You could argue have the best resume of any team in the league. And I, I think with Vance Joseph in this defense, it reminds me a little bit of the old Saints Greg Williams defenses or Greg Williams in general where it's like they're pretty boomer bust, but they make big plays. And in the first half of this game when you know they they intercept Matthew Stafford, uh, they force the fumble, and they get a lead – like, they aren't looking back. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then in the second half, they go on these long drives against a Rams offense, which is almost begging them to run. And, and this time, they were able to do it. Like, James Conner didn't have a great game, but Chase Edmonds, 120 yards on the ground. And, like, they have these long drives, and the Rams couldn't get the ball back. It it was one-sided. They did, Shocker. They did whatever they wanted through the air, on the ground, and then on the other side of the ball. Okay, so you say, all right, so the Rams are struggling to stop a high-powered offense. That happens all the t- all the time in our league now. Then you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a shootout. But no, because Matthew Stafford, I would say this was his first game, and there was a little lipstick on the pig late. This is the first game where I would say he was ineffective. And, you know, I think a big game-changing play, Greg, we talked about it um, in the third quarter 
they get stopped at the goal line. It looks like Stafford got in. Uh, they decide not to challenge it, and you could understand why in McVay's mind, Sean McVay's mind, why he did that. He's thinking, I can't risk losing the timeout here. I'm going to keep it in my back pocket because I need to make a comeback here. Uh, we're going to score. We have two chances to get in from the one, but they don't, and that to me was kind of the turning point of this. Yeah, I mean, they, they would have had to make a great comeback, and I don't know if their defense could have helped. It. H- Higby doesn't catch the pass there, but it did kind of just get me thinking about how they they just haven't been great in terms of you know, handing the ball off. And maybe they won't need to. But I just thought coming into this game, the Cardinals' rush defense was vulnerable. They got steamrolled by Minnesota. Uh, I think Jacksonville pushed them around up front, actually, in the running game. And normally, with Jared Goff, the Cardinal killer, that's what you would have seen. I mean, uh, we spent this whole year talking about what uh, what Jared Goff can't do. What he can do is beat the Cardinals seven out of eight times. Uh, and so this win has to feel really sweet for Cliff Kingsbury because it's an offensive league and this is an offensive team. It just feels like they've now got enough pieces where his offense makes sense because I've seen some people be like, you know, Cliff is co- – they're running the exact same plays. Exact, like they are the same Cardinals offense and now they have the talent to make it work and they have, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league right now, one of the top couple. I mean, as long as they could keep him healthy, they couldn't last year and he's not the biggest guy. So you worry about how this works over 17 games. But if they can, they're going to continue to put up points and the defense, if it plays at this level, they are going to win a lot of games and they are 4-0 now and they have a chance to really – Despite everyone else going the other way preseason, including us, including everybody, they can win this division. They have that type of ceiling, and Sean McVay has coached against the Cardinals nine times, Greg. This is the first time he went down. Wow. First time. So big, big performance. Jason Zumwalt dancing in the streets. Is this a statement game? This is like maybe oh, the you know statement it, game of the young season. I mean, you know it, Greg, because I said it to you in the, the, in the new newsroom. It's actually – N-U umlaut Zroom. That I said it. That's a statement game. You don't believe in statement games. You're on Claybon Corner with that. Like those things don't matter. Momentum doesn't matter. There's no such thing as statements. That's a statement because I, the I don't Rams know if I had an official position, but the, yeah, this this gets the Rams notice. are in the locker room licking their wounds and thinking to themselves, oh, now we gotta go to the desert to play them? These guys are for real. They also know they gotta have a quick turnaround, play on Thursday night, another big division game, and suddenly the Cardinals are at the top of the division. Mm. Call it the curse of the power rankings. The Rams, I hope you enjoyed your six-day stay. (laughs) It's over at number one. Speaking of over, the undefeated season of the Denver Broncos, head to mile high. Broncos rush four. Jackson with time. Going deep. He's looking at Hollywood Brown at the five. He reaches up, and he makes a diving (laughs) catch. Hollywood Brown, welcome back to the end zone for a touchdown. Jerry Sandusky, WBAL. See, my voice is back, Greg. It's no, it's not Money Smith, but when it's humming, it's fine. It's a good, it's a good little weapon. Totally, totally took a shot last week. Giancarlo Stanton buried me. It's all the way back. I mean, if yours is a weapon, what's mine? You know, I don't know. You answer that question. I'm not going to. Lamar Jackson threw for 316 yards, including that 49-yard touchdown pass to a diving Hollywood Brown. And thank God, Hollywood. You needed to catch that ball, and it was a nice catch. And the Ravens combined offensive prowess with another great defensive performance, or a great defensive performance, beating the Broncos 23-7. As I said, the Broncos were undefeated no longer. Greg, Denver lost Teddy Bridgewater to a concussion in this game, but it sounds like this loss was more about more than just that. 
Yeah, I, Teddy gone at halftime. Score was seventeen to seven at that point. I I keep this notebook that you know I, oh, year, year after iconic. year iconic. Keep the notebook, and I you know I never write the, the the winner you know until the very end of the game unless I'm feeling like ultra confident. When Locke came in, I wrote in Ravens, <laughs> left the score empty, wrote Ravens. I knew it was over, and I don't think it would have mattered if Teddy was out there. When when Bridgewater was there, he threw the ball sixteen times, got sixty five yards. The Ravens dominated this game. Uh, up front, and they're and they're winning offensively in surprising ways to me. You you would think a game where they're ahead the whole time, oh, they're gonna rush it forty five times. They're gonna rack up these rushing yards. Rushing net today, one hundred and two yards for the Ravens. They actually were pass heavy. Like they still threw the ball thirty seven times and only ran it, I think, thirty. They're going deep. It's not gonna create a lot of consistency on offense, but. Lamar hit a couple of the deep throws today. He had that one to Hollywood Brown, a couple nice uh, throws to Mark Andrews, and uh, it was, like, enough. They protected him, and the defense got after it. It just gets me thinking, like, whenever I doubt this Ravens defense over the last five or six years, it's just like they just find guys. They find a way, and Odafe Owe, their number one pick, to me, would be the defensive rookie of the year or the month other than Micah Parsons. Like Micah Parsons has just been crazy, but this guy Oway just has crazy athleticism where if you're into watching pass, watching pass rushers, he's a good guy to just watch snap after snap because his athleticism is just outrageous. So both teams punted on their first three possessions uh, before finding the end zone. There was only six points, uh, two Justin Tucker field goals uh, in the second half. So a lot of this damage was done in the middle portion of the game. And Tucker, by the way, I heard because we're all – now, well, never everyone's caught up to the beauty of Justin Tucker. Now he gets the pregame reports that he was banging seventy yarders uh, before this game in the uh, the light air of Colorado, and that, I'm too bad he didn't get a chance to do that. But yeah, I mean, I guess this is with the Broncos. It's a wait and see situation now with Teddy. It's a concussion. You never know which way that's going to go. But Drew Locke, I think you told me downstairs. The, the restless crowd in Denver does not want to see Drew Locke on the field. There were <laughs> some boo of, birds they, out. It was like mixed boost when he came out for the right. game. Now, maybe they didn't know Bridgewater was hurt at the time, and they thought they were just benching him, and they were, like, booing that decision partly. Uh, but Locke struggled. He didn't know what he was seeing. This happens. But his first 15 dropbacks, I think he had 56 yards passing, but had taken three or four sacks in that. So, like, net yards, they had almost nothing. They've just lost too many players. Bridgewater is their eighth starter who's now out. That's yeah. a lot. Like, eight's a big number. That's a lot uh, of attrition. And, yeah, for a team that, you know, I liked, but and was talented. That's just a lot going on there. Uh, and they lost Patrick Sertan very late in this game to a chest injury. So that would make nine. They need to get healthy. And I just give the Ravens a ton of credit for getting through this first month of the season, three and one. I know they got a little bit of a, a break there in Detroit, but ultimately like it was a tough first month schedule. They're going to get healthier and they're up, you know, they're three and one. And I don't, I don't like to do too much look ahead on the Sunday night show. Cause that's what we have later in the week. Um, and by the way, later in the week, we will be in London. Hello. Let's get that out there. Remind the people that we will be uh, on a plane and traveling to England for the Jets-Falcons game at the Big Tot. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, but you look at Denver 3-1 and one at Pittsburgh. Now, that used to be a really tough game. I don't know what to make sense of the, of the Steelers anymore. But after at Pittsburgh, home Raiders at Browns, home Washington at Cowboys. So, if the Broncos are good, Greg, and if they can get some guys back, of course. But attrition's part of the game, Greg. So you can't I know, but don't bail now. 
Oh, I'm not bailing. Yeah. But it's also an important part of the game. It's, you know, Kendall Hinton, our old buddy who took quarterback snaps for them last year, now is like their third receiver. <laughs> that was right. one of their top uh, positions, and it, they did not get much of a pass rush. I, I'm fascinated just this Broncos, this Ravens team is just kind of, I think, confident that the Broncos wouldn't get much of a pass rush, and they're just – you know, dialing up plays a little differently this year, and they're winning game this game pretty easily. All right, let's move on. In fact, let's welcome in mm. one of our favorite people. What's up, baby? What's up, guys? How you doing? How are you? How you no. feeling, buddy? Wearing the NFL podcast merch. Yeah. Look, um, man, look at all this stuff you stole before you went to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got this recently, all right, for the, for participation on this show. That's this true. You are a big uh, member of the NFL podcast. All right. Uh, so the pipe is here. He is Western Ohio, born and bred, and he now gets to talk a little Cleveland football like it used to be played. Let's head to Minneapolis. Takes the snap, and he's got it, and he's back, and he rolls to the left. He's throwing towards the end zone, and it is incomplete in the end zone. Incomplete in the end zone. Broken up by John Johnson the third. That's the end of the game. (laughs) And the Browns win it on the road here in Minneapolis. They've won three in a row. Jim Donovan with a good call, WKRK. The Browns allowed a touchdown drive on the Vikings' first possession. But then the, the stout Cleveland D said, that's enough, shutting out Minnesota in its ensuing 11 possessions in a 14-7 win at U.S. Bank Stadium. That's a big road win. Shooky, Miles Garrett and the Browns' front seven harassed Kirk Cousins, made them earn every single yard, and, uh, you know, Kevin Stefanski has got to be pinching himself in his return to Minnesota. Yeah, he does. You know, the the I don't know if I would say he's the prodigal son, but somewhere along those lines, returns, gets a, a hard-fought win, a really kind of an ugly game. If you're a fan of defense, you loved it, but offensively there was a lot to be desired from both sides. Kirk Cousins marches them right down the field to begin with. They look like they're, they've game-planned well. They know exactly how to attack this Browns defense. They even convert a fourth and one, and that was it. Five three-and-outs from there. Kirk Cousins with an interception. Um, they actually probably got one more chance than they deserved at the end and still couldn't convert. Uh, a concerning day for Vikings fans if you're thinking about your offense after you come off you know, scoring 30-plus points last week. You can't put more than seven on the board. But if you're a Browns fan, two straight weeks where that defense has absolutely dominated, and it certainly won you this game today. It, it's the most surprising thing to me that I saw today was that in the second half of this game, there were 14 possessions, and there were three points. And these were two of the best offenses in the NFL coming into this game. So explain that for me, Shooky. Well, I could I could help you out with that as well, Greg, because Baker Mayfield played poorly mm. in this game, including a a kind of end the game touchdown should have been walk in for Odell, a misfire. His accuracy was out the door, and it's been that way for two weeks. Shook, what's going on with Baker? Yeah, we talked about this last week, Greg. I think you said if, if a box score can tell a story, you know, this might be the game that tells a story. Well, Baker Mayfield's box score can completely tell his story. Hmm. He was poorly is putting it nice, Dan. And, and I don't okay, mean to I'm pile on a guy. Who, I don't mean to pile on a guy who had a bad day. Baker was horrible today. The only thing he didn't do wrong was turn the ball over. This was probably his worst game as a pro in which he did not turn the ball Mm. over. 15 of 33 overall, missing guys at every depth of target on the entire field. Odell Beckham Jr. could have backpedaled into the end zone for a game-stealing touchdown if he puts it on him in the right spot. He was he was so errant that it made you wonder if maybe the the shoulder injury or injury that he had on his non-throwing shoulder was affecting him because it was just that bad. It was it was inexplicable. But 
They were still good offensively on the ground. Nick Chubb, 21 carries, 100 yards, and Kareem Hunt really defined uh, that offense in the first half, both in the running game and the passing game. He had a long pickup on a draw that, that ended up coming down to – or it, it kind of advanced the chains and uh, put them in position to kick a field goal before half, which ended up being big. Um, you, The Browns have been – you know, you said that they're one of the better offenses in the NFL. Statistically, that might be true, but for the last – Three weeks, the Browns have really been kind of stuck in the mud offensively. The only difference in the last two games has been that their defense has really picked them up extremely in this game. Uh, so they still have a lot of things to figure out. And I think the biggest um, common underlying theme here is they don't have Jarvis Landry, and it's really hurting Baker mm. Mayfield and his ability to move the ball through the air. They but, ran They ran for 184. I guess why I would put them there is they've been efficient passing the ball, and the running game is the best week right. after week overall. And they and they were able to. In a game where both of these teams really want to run, only one was able to, and that was the winning team. And it might be annoying to uh, Nick Chubb fantasy owners, but it's just it just hums that offense when they, they have Kareem Hunt actively involved and they're doing it as a two-headed monster. And it, it does – it, it kind of – it's good for Cleveland because it does bail you out when Baker has – these games and unfortunately with Baker he has these stretches it seems because his inaccuracy this week especially what really I I struggle to wrap my head around Baker with this Nick because when he is on he doesn't miss at all like he'll have those 19 of 21 type games where he has Steve Young like accuracy and then this will happen is it a mechanical issue like what where where does this come from where Baker is all over the map in terms of his accuracy Sometimes it comes within rhythm where he's just kind of out of rhythm where he's, you know, double clutching that type of thing, forcing balls. That wasn't really the case today. The case was just he simply wasn't hitting open guys. I mean, it was it truly was difficult to explain watching it on TV, figuring out how you're missing a dump off to Kareem Hunt on third down. You're missing Odell down the field when he's open. You're missing guys at every depth, uh, just throwing high passes through the hands of receivers. Somebody tweeted me early in the game and said, why aren't they catching Baker's passes? Because he threw a couple high ones that kind of went through their hands, but they were a little out of reach. By the fourth quarter, it was clear why they weren't catching him because he couldn't put it in their catch radius. So he needs to figure that out. And he admitted after the game that he played very poorly. So if you're a Browns fan, you hope that they, that he bounces back but it's also really been a test I think of Kevin Stefanski and and his ability to get into a rhythm as a play caller because I think he's gotten a little too cute offensively they definitely did two weeks ago and against Houston they did a little bit against Chicago and then they did late in this game where this is a team as we all know they're built to finish games by pounding it on the ground with Chubb and Hunt and they had a possession late in the game where all they had to do was just get a couple first downs chew the clock and kind of salt away the victory and they decided to throw it with a quarterback who wasn't accurate for most of the day. And that's what resulted in that uh, Beckham incompletion on third down. And it was just like, that's not how you close out a game. That's not who you are. You need to go back to who you are and understand your identity. But they're 3-1. and one. They're exactly. winning close games. Right. They're avoiding losing games that they very much would have lost in the past. I do yeah, wonder exactly. if like his progress, you know, the, his latest ad, uh, you know, I, I feel Don't like there's a little bit Don't of a go there. step down. Oh, no. And I just wonder if that's, like, getting in his head. Like, because, you know, he's not getting as much You know, Mark, on Mark might be listening. So let's, No, let's but he's easy. been great in the past, but this, this the latest Oh, you one, think it's, like, the cut that meat? It's like uh, you jump the shark in a way? To, and... He needs to bounce back from the latest um, one. Uh, Well, perhaps. And on the Viking side, before we move on, I'll just mention this. Um as great as they looked last week, I didn't think they necessarily looked even terrible. I'm just terrible in this game on offense. I think it was just a really good Cleveland defense that was locked in. But Dalvin Cook aggravated that ankle issue, and he was able to come back in the game when they were trying to uh, get that late score. But it's just something to track because Cook, we know, has his injury issues, staying healthy. And if it's something that he, you know, he was forced to set, sit out multiple series, 
it's something that might he might have to deal with for a long time this season, if not for the balance of the season. So keep an eye on that for Minnesota. All right, we're going to move on to Big D, the Cowboys rising right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Prescott in the gun, looking right. Pumps, throws it down. Caught by Wilson at the five. Spin move, free. Strolling in. Walking the doll, opening the gate, painting the fence. Touchdown, Cedric Wilson. Ooh-wee. Zeke Elliott went 20 for 143, and Dak Prescott threw four touchdown passes, including that game icer to Cedric Wilson. The Cowboys romp. Forget about the final score. 36-28 it was over the Panthers, also knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten. But this turned into a blowout. Shook. The Cowboys look like an offensive force, while the Panthers learn this football thing is hard against the good teams. Yeah, an offensive force that's missed its rushing attack uh, and number 21 for a little over a year, who definitely went back to his premier form this week. Zeke was fast, he hit the holes hard, and he ripped off multiple long runs that really got their offense going. And you have to give credit as well to Tony Pollard, who was like the perfect complimentary back to Zeke. And they both were gashing Carolina's defense in the first half and the second half. Zeke ripped off a 47-yard run um, in the second half that kind of propelled them toward another scoring possession and kind of Basically, it was like the almost the dagger um, in that game as part of that run in the second half where they overcame a deficit. But it, it was a complete effort from them offensively. Dak didn't even have to do that much. You know, he only threw 22 passes because Zeke was doing so well on the ground. And Tony Pollard, Dak ran a little bit as, as well. And and the defense, you know, this is something that we that we gave the Cowboys so much um, grief for last year was, was their sieve of a defense. And, and instead, this year, Dan Quinn's work is starting to show, so, namely in the way that Trevon Diggs has played. He had two interceptions again today. Uh, they both led to points, 10 total points overall, one touchdown and a field goal. And uh, other guys like Micah Parsons are playing really well. As, uh, you know, as a group, they're playing total team defense. It's all coming together. And we're starting to see a Cowboys team. Don't, don't, you know, I'm not, this is not hyperbole here, but we are starting to see a Cowboys team that is potentially fulfilling what we thought we'd see from them last year, the year before on paper. They're starting to really bring that to life on the field so far. And this is probably, I know they had a, a big win on Sunday night last week, but this is probably their most impressive win to date. I mean, I don't think it's not like you need to wait to hype up the Cowboys. They're, if they're not the best, the offense in the league, you know, they're second or third. At worst, I mean, they're they're almost they're unstoppable. It's not like you need to see much more than that. The, the the defense doesn't even need to be good for them to be Super Bowl contenders. They threw the ball 26 times last week, scored 41 points. They threw it 22 times this week, scored 36 points. The Panthers supposedly, you know, statistically had the best rush defense in the league coming into this game. Uh, the Cowboys set a record where it was 5.5 yards before contact on average running the ball. In this game, so that is just an offensive line that is steamrolling opponents, and now we know they can steamroll good opponents. And if the running game is that good, Dak, you know, making the decisions and, and being able to be so accurate, I don't know, man. I would I would take them over any offense in the league right now. I think not? the 
the the stat that kind of proved because uh, this is this is a litmus test for them, right? Uh, at least a little bit against a defense that was playing with its hair on fire through the first three weeks in Carolina, and we were like, well, we'll see how the the Cowboys do against this defense. Maybe they are for real. Maybe they're not. The Cowboys scored 36 points and had 245 rushing yards Sunday, right? Before that, the Panthers had only allowed 30 total points and 135 rushing yards in their first three games. Right. So you want to talk about dominance in a statement game? It was definitely that. It's, for it's the a great like reminder of like defensive rankings is almost entirely predictive on the teams you've played. Right. If you just like do, yeah. do the math to it, because in this game I think they almost had a Golston, which is our word for uh, no quarterback hits, no sacks. I believe they touched Dak one time. And we uh, could be no better, sack. by the way, as um, a football industry when you go throwing around things like wow. It's going to be some showdown between the high-flying Cowboys and football's number one defense, the Panthers. It's like, whoa, you have to earn being t- – I don't care about the statistical side of things. You have to earn that type of title. And they didn't put up any resistance, Carolina, but what about on the offensive side of the ball? First game, full game without Christian McCaffrey. Uh, did you see anything in the running game uh, while McCaffrey's out to, to build on? And what about Sam Darnold? Well, the headline in the running game is Sam Darnold's two rushing touchdowns, but I'll get to that in a second because Chuba Hubbard does deserve a little bit of credit. He has been a pretty hard runner for them and a decent replacement for McCaffrey, but he's obviously not Christian McCaffrey, and they they do need more on the ground overall. Having said that, Sam Darnold's two rushing touchdowns today, uh, five rushing touchdowns in the year. You know, he's, he's putting up outrageous rushing numbers when it comes to touchdowns for quarterbacks, especially from a guy like him. He scrambled on multiple attempts to, can move. to pick up first downs and fast, keep them but moving. He can move. Yes, but the thing is, is I still need to see a, a little bit more from him in terms of consistency through the air. He threw two interceptions today that immediately led to points for the Cowboys and totally swung the game in favor of Dallas. I mean, Carolina was punch for punch with them through the first half and into the third quarter, Sam's mistakes put them in a position where they had to fight, you know, an uphill battle and they basically ran out of time. I do give them credit though. You know, it's a young team and they fought to the end. They just kind of ran out of time, but if they didn't dig themselves that hole, which Sam basically dug for them, then we might be talking about a different outcome and potentially a a statement win for the the Panthers. So right now, you know, we've all talked about how Sam has improved in so many different areas, but the, the couple of the areas that we know that he still hasn't gotten better at, Ball security when getting sacked. He didn't really fumble the ball away today, even though he got sacked five times. But those two interceptions proved to be the difference. And that, just like on the defensive side of the ball, and that's not to totally denigrate what they did in the first three weeks because they did win three games. But the true test with Darnold has yet to come. And and maybe th- this sounds like it was a little uh, up and down, obviously. All right, one more game with Shooky. Um, let's head to Lambeau Field. And the snap. Rush on. Rodgers with time initially. Waits. Throws. Left side. He's got Randall Cobb barreling to the end zone. Touchdown, Green Bay. That's why Aaron wanted his boy Randall back. Wayne Larravee with the call. WTMJ, I guess. Whatever. Rodgers connected with Randall Cobb for two touchdowns. And he ran for another score. Rodgers did as the Packers... Beat the Steelers 27-17, their third straight win. Uh, Rodgers was steady here, Shooky, uh, but Pittsburgh now has lost three straight after that week one win in Buffalo, and they haven't scored more than 17 points. So are we at an error in any of those games? Are we at a place now in Steelers football where anything involving a shootout, they're just not going to be competitive? Yes, although I don't know if necessarily they'll be in a ton of shootouts if their defense is healthy. Okay. Uh, their defense is what kept them in this game today. 
But when it comes to them possessing the ball, it is it is a struggle. You know, I remember a couple weeks ago or so, Greg had said about Carson Wentz, why does everything have to be so hard? That is the Steelers. Why does everything have to Still. be so hard for them with the football in their hands on fourth and less than five or less than seven? It is a disaster. It's comical. Like, it's to the point where I hope they get the ball fourth and seven or less because I want to see how they're going to mess it up. You know, they again, fourth and one today. They come out, trips bunch tight to the left, Najee Harris and the gun to the right. And I sit there and look at the screen. I go, this is a dump off to Harris. And guess what? Everybody in Lambeau Stadium, including the Packers' entire defense, namely Jair Alexander, they also knew that was coming. Dump off to Harris, loss of yards, turnover on downs. Fourth and five later. What do we do? A one-yard drag to Juju Smith-Schuster, who gets wrapped up and reaches out in vain a full six feet short of the first down uh, line to gain on fourth and five. Another turnover on downs. It That right there uh, captures what the Steelers are offensively. They cannot move the ball quickly. They do move the ball sometimes, but they can't convert the downs that they need to. It all starts with Ben Roethlisberger, mm. also that offensive line that's still young, cannot create a lot of room for Najee Harris to work. Doesn't give Ben Roethlisberger a lot of time to throw, but his lack of mobility, his age is very much showing 26 to 40 today, 78.3 passer rating after a one to one touchdown interception. It just, I think he's in the Gabbard ugly. zone here again. Very much. It's yeah. ugly. We are, we are getting to the point where I, I tweeted today. It's mind numbing watching them try to move the football. The it end. Is, it is absolutely perplexing. The end is it's, it, it rarely ends well for these guys. And it's happening. Like we saw with Eli Manning and the giants who's in the same draft class. It's happening now for big Ben. And I just wonder um, Shug, and by the way, do you think Juju Smith-Schuster is reconsidering that decision to stay in That's Pittsburgh? That's what I was – eight, eight <laughs> targets today for 11 yards. The only decision worse uh, than uh, bringing back Ben was Juju picking the Steelers. I think he took less money, over, too. Over the Chiefs. I don't buy that. I think that was a little PR. But either way, yeah. like, uh, yeah, he could, no, be, but, he could be catching passes for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, right it, it feels like, Shook, that – if if it was another situation, and it's it's same, it's what got Ben McAdoo fired in New York, by the way. When you're like, let me move move away from the veteran who's won me Super Bowls, but they don't really have anybody back there that, unless you're a Dwayne Haskins fan or a Mason Rudolph guy, I guess they're going to ride it out. Or do you think there's any chance we might start hearing some rumbles about job security here? Well, that's the thing is, you know, a good friend of mine uh, I do a podcast with. His name's Sean. Uh, small plug there. Um, Get the plug. He's in. a Steelers oh, what's, fan. What's the podcast? Yeah. It's the Sean and Shook podcast. You can find it All right, now Greg wants to know when you tape it because then no. he's going to criticize your rollout. I'm just trying to he, – he tried to promote his own <laughs> podcast. He didn't say the name. That's all. <laughs> no, I know. Not not the marketing genius right here. Um, he's a Steeler <laughs> fan, and when we've talked about this at length. It's just it, – he's like, do we see a change? And I'm like, you know as, as well as I know that, that that's not going to happen because of who Ben Roethlisberger is. What I fear for Steeler fans – I know it's early, but what I fear for them is that this turns into a Derek Jeter retirement tour. And yeah. and as the Steelers try to work out the kinks and point to their youth at so many other positions, they just ride it out until the end of the season and then take the next step. The thing is, as you mentioned, Mason Rudolph, he's not even under team control. So like, you know, beyond this year. So it might not be him. It might end up being Dwayne Haskins. There's no clear plan, like you said, which I think also points to the fact that I don't think they move on from Ben because they have nowhere else to go. I just think they kind of take their lumps and try to figure it out as they go. My real question is, Randy Finger took all the heat last year for their offense's, um, you know, just breakdown down the stretch last year. Uh-oh, blame Canada, Canada time. 
Yeah, does he get held to the same standard? Because I'm no. not seeing anything better except for some pre-snap motion. That's it. No, I think you can blame the players. I think it's fine to. It's, it's okay. fine to blame the offensive line. Unless and, Jason and Garrett's the OC, and then Greg would blame no, Jason Garrett. No, I'm saying in this case, like, what's the commonality? What's the commonality? <laughs> no, it's right. all there. It's all laid bare for the Steelers. And this was always within the range of outcomes we're not writing them off. It's still, it's October 3rd or whatever. But this was always within the range of outcomes when we were talking about this team leading into 2021. It could go bad. So far, it's they're been two bad. Games, they're two games behind three different teams in their division. We should give some credit, though, to the Packers. When I watch them, especially like today, like they, to me, seem like the purest Shanahan offense there is right now. Like They got the outside zone running against the Steelers, which to me is impressive. Dylan, Aaron Jones didn't pop off in terms of his numbers, uh, but he had a couple of big plays. Like the week one seems so far away for both of these teams. Yeah. It's just, it's just a long way away for both of these teams. Yeah. You have to be excited if you're a Packers fan, just from the consistency you're seeing from this offense. Yeah. They didn't put up a ton of points, but they moved the football effectively. And I, the Steelers got away with it. Uh, what I think was a tripping call that ended up being a, a sack credited to TJ Watt that kind of um, stalled the drive that was probably going to end up in a touchdown for them as well. So maybe, you know, four more points on the board for them there. They, they are consistent. They're effective. It seems like they've worked through their growing pains that they had in week one. And, you know, when you get a guy like Randall Cobb, two touchdown passes, you're like, hey, we don't have to just go to Devontae Adams. We can go to a number of different guys and still score points. So, um, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about them. Um, Jair Alexander was carted off after this game. So hopefully or during this game after he made that tackle on uh, Najee Harris. So hopefully that they avoid something serious there with that. But overall, um, you have to feel confident about them. All right, Chucky. Thank you, buddy. We're going to be obviously in London taping our show next Sunday. I don't know what that means time zone wise, whether you're going to be involved with our show, but if it all syncs up, we'd love to see you over the ocean next week, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, we can do that virtually, you know, just we have to agree now. No usage of across the pond. No No across the pond. Okay. All right. No moratorium on across the pond. There goes Chucky. Let's head to the link where the Chiefs try to get back on track. Third and six for the Chiefs. Last play before the two-minute warning. Chiefs are going to throw it here. And Mahomes is throwing it up. He's got Tyreek Hill open and holds it in. Touchdown, Kansas City. Mahomes saw what he wanted. Single coverage and a whole half of the field to let the Cheetah run as far and as long as he could. Mitch Holtis, WDAF. You know, Matt Money Smith, the voice of God on this podcast, having like a, a tantrum. On the power rankings this oh, wait, week. Wait, you guys do a show together? We do. Every show? Tuesday. I that. NFL Network, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. About the Chiefs being in trouble and their offense being in trouble. Oh, please. You got Patrick Mahomes. That's the answer. Then he threw five touchdown passes in many ways. He threw like a ski ball shot uh, <laughs> for a touchdown. He did a, a shovel for a touchdown. He threw a deep bomb there to Tyreek. For a touchdown, Tyreek had three touchdowns. 42-30 win. Chiefs over Eagles. And, uh, you know, this is what Kansas City looks like when they play a cleaner game on offense. And they hadn't been clean in recent weeks. The killer fumble against the Ravens late in that game. Four turnovers uh, last week in uh, an upset loss. And now you play a clean game. You get 42 points. The other team's going to score because the Chiefs continue, Greg, to have issues on defense. But... The Eagles, as they did um, last week, kill themselves, and two weeks ago as well, kill themselves with unforced errors. Three touchdowns negated by penalty, Oof. resulting in three four-point plays. You know, that's what the old Michael Lombardi saying. He probably took him from Parcells. 
when you leave a touchdown on the field, kick a field goal, you lose four points. Well, do the math. Three of those. I'm not great at it. Four times three is 12. You lost 42-30. Pain. Mm. They led the league in penalties coming into this week. I think they had set the Eagles record for most penalties in a three-week span. That's concerning. Yeah. Uh, not shocking. I mean, the Chiefs actually lose the turnover battle in this game, one to nothing, uh, and they still put up 42. It It's funny because with the Chiefs, it's like people are like, they haven't really developed their offense. It, they haven't really like changed it that much in the last few years, and they're not really getting anything beyond Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. And it's, it's like, uh, yeah, you don't even really need to, and you still put up 42 on the Eagles, and the only reason the Chargers beat you is because you've turned it over four times. So I, I'm not worried about the offense. They got the running game going, which I think is is a big sign for them because I think they will need to run it efficiently at least to be the team that they need to. They're going to have to put up 40 each week at this rate. They will. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, offense, no defense, we got a little jackpot in this game. And this surprised me. For only the fourth time, that's our jackpot sound effect. <laughs> For only the fourth time, I thought it was going to be more like you would hear the coins falling, Ricky, and maybe some buzz in the crowd. Let's let's work on our jackpot sound effects for yeah, next week. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the the crowd ambiance, uh, that's a bad job on me. I should have assumed no, you I mean, I'm not, whole I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying yeah. I think we, the collective we, yeah. no, could be I, better I know, with that. For sure. Yeah, totally. No totally. punt game. That's Hit it again. <laughs> oh, wow. Hit it again. Jackpot, baby. <laughs> Brent Musburger is going to sue me uh, because for the only the fourth time in NFL history, Greg, there was no punts in a game, and it happened here. Uh, the Chiefs scored every time they had the ball except for uh, one Mahomes INT. And the Eagles, yeah, they killed themselves with mistakes. Otherwise, they were moving the ball well. I thought Jalen Hurts was good in this game. Um, Fantasy God, Jalen Hurts. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, he, he is a top – five quarterback at at worst and because even when they're getting blown out he's he's finds a way in the end zone a couple times late and he did it again this week after he did it on monday night but as long as if the defense is going to get lit up like this week after week they are just not you know the cowboys are going to leave that entire division in the dust i just think they got stuck playing the cowboys and the chiefs every week but it's pointed out that any hope that the eagles defense was special and, and you know, any anything beyond just average is hoping for too much. That's insane. The Chiefs went six for six scoring touchdowns. It's that it's one thing to put up forty two. It's another thing to do it in seven possessions. I mean that's I don't know. It's that's crazy. It, that's the thing. It's like you you got to shorten the game against the Chiefs. You got to make them work hard. It's like okay, uh, once again you just shortened uh, the amount of time it takes to get, lose. Right. They, I, th- I feel like the rest There's of no the... There's no answer. There's yeah. no answer. I mean, unless you're the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl, uh, it's going to be very hard to cook up a scheme to actually stop the Chiefs. So then it becomes something else. It means your offense has to have a big day. You got to get turnovers. And you have to get turnovers. And that's how you beat the Chiefs. And uh, the Eagles were unable uh, to do anything to uh, match the uh, Chiefs on offense in this game. And the one turnover was all that um, they were able to get in that game. So good that's it. for the Philly offense. I know some of it was late, but still 31st downs. That feels good after the last Yeah, the Chiefs, I mean, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're frustrated because you can't get off the field, but it must be nice to have Patrick there to clean up all the messiness. Uh, the Chiefs back to 500. Let's move on. Jones out of the gun. Hand off Saquon, slices right to the end zone and in for the touchdown of the Giants, winning in overtime. 
Zaquan Barkley on a six-yard run. Here's your alpha dog. <laughs> you know, let's give the Giants a little uh, it's on in New York City. They deserve it for this one. It's on in northern New Jersey. <laughs> it's on in New Orleans. <laughs> Say- oh, Saquon Barkley ran for a six-yard TD in overtime after Daniel Jones passed for a career-high 402. And the G-Men rally for the first one of the season, 27-21 over the Saints. Greg, and I know this one hurts you, and you got—you heard Greg. I almost could hear him whimpering. I can't see him over the screen, but when he's suffering, uh, I can feel it. And when it's the Giants of all teams coming up, coming back on the Saints in the return to the Superdome, my goodness, they had it all set up, Greg. 21-10, fourth quarter lead. What the hell happened? 21-10 and with the ball, and I think that sequence. And Giants fans, I'll give you your love shortly because you guys, they deserve it. It was a great comeback. The, the Saints get the ball up 21. of you. I'm, no, I'm just saying because that. The Giants fans, you the, deserve this, it. That was the story, and that's where I was going to go first, but you set me up in a particular way, so you got to go with the host. They're up 21-10. Are you, so, <laughs> was that a shot at me? No, no, I'm saying I'm just answering your gotcha. question. Gotcha. I have now wasted 40 seconds that none of you listening will ever It's get on. Back. All right, go ahead. New York City. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, in that sequence with the Saints getting the ball, it was second and three. I remember it well. And it's about eight minutes left. And you think, oh, they're just going to run over the Giants. But sure. the Giants are built pretty well to stop the run. And no matter how much the Saints just kept looking for that big Camara play, they weren't quite getting it. They ran the ball 39 times in this game, I believe. And they only threw it 23. The New Orleans Saints, like in a close game. It's different now. They stuffed Camara uh, to make it third and two. And then you bring out Taysom Hill. And it was a there's a lot of Taysom Hill today. And there was a lot of good. You got a couple touchdowns. And there was some bad. You got an ugly interception. And you got him getting stuffed on this third down. And I just think the way the Saints are playing football right now, it's a really slim margin for error. I think that Sean Payton is trying to play to his defense and play to his running game. And there were points in this game where even though at one point Jameis hit 12 straight passes, it felt like they were just hoping Jameis would not lose the game. And that's where, like, hey, let us go win the game here, Jameis. Let's not be conservative. Let's not run the ball. And that happened a couple times late in this game, and it gave the Giants a chance. And to the Giants' credit, they took advantage. This is such a transition for the Saints because – the way you're talking about how they're using Jameis, who, by the way, his box score tells a story of a, a good game. He had 119 passer rating. But using Alvin Kamara like this, 26 carries for 120 yards, you never used to see Kamara in that type of role um, as, no as a running back. And no receptions, which is not using, you know. Right. And then, you know, so you have that side of things. And so the Saints kind of are still figuring themselves out and – and I know we talked about Greg. I think you even made a case for him having the best defense in the league. They took a step back. They're figuring themselves out. The Giants, on the other hand, I think, yes, like you did, Greg, and that was very nice of you. Again, magnanimous. You got to give him credit because everyone thought the season was over last week, and perhaps it is. Perhaps the Giants stink, and they're going to end up. We'll look back at this in a couple of months, and they'll be two and nine or whatever. But when you lose that game the way you did to the Falcons, to go on the road in that supercharged atmosphere and find a way to come back. And I think Saquon Barkley is a key to all this. For, well, two things. Daniel Jones, again, when you look at his game-by-game results, and I haven't seen this game yet, but I'm looking forward to it, he seems like he's making progress as a passer. And then you factor in Saquon, who I thought he looked very close to peak, maybe not peak, but star Saquon last week. 
And now you look at the numbers again, and he is a huge uh, factor in their running game. And as a receiver, that's big news for the Giants. 126 yards from scrimmage. Right after that sequence I, I was talking about, the Giants get one of their two one-play drives in this game. It was a it was kind of a freaky game. They had a one-play drive in the first half, first touchdown of the game, 52 yards to John Ross after a weird Sean John Payton Ross. decision. I'll get to that one. And then <laughs> another one-play drive, Saquon Barkley for 54, where he beats Marshawn Lattimore. So that tells you it, it was a great play call by Jason Garrett, um, and they, they fooled Lattimore, who did not think Barkley was going to cut it upfield. Beautiful pass. Daniel Jones played so clean. 402 yards, two scores. His pick was on a Hail Mary interception at the end of the first half, Mm. so that's not even against him. No mistakes, has made great decisions. You're right about Barkley, and I don't think you could have a more positive game in terms of the Giants' offense because not only did Barkley make those big plays, including the game winner, it's awesome when you get the game-winning touchdown in overtime, uh, and that long play. But Galladay was so big in this game. Six for 116. And That's Kadarius Tony, their first-round pick, who everyone's Huge. been killing Gettleman for, has an amazing burst to his – I mean, he is explosive. So these injuries that they got to Shepard uh, and Slayton – especially when those guys come back, maybe it's good because it made them come up with something for Tony, and he was beating Paulson Adebo, uh, who, who's you know been pretty good as a rookie cornerback, but they picked on him all day. His miscommunication set up the game-winning touchdown against Galladay. Tony had a number of big plays in this game, including like a third and 19 conversion. I was really impressed by him. So I, I almost thought, like, wow, Ross and Tony on the field, like we're cooking with some speed here, this Giants offense. I know they didn't move it all game, but at 485 yards, that's pretty good. I mean, to be without their – I know Galladay is their number one, but he hadn't been it to this point. To play without two top receivers – and still get 400 from Jones. That's that's a big thing. So 485 total. And I do before we move though. I do want to point out Sean Payton. Sorry. Yeah. No. Just seems like he he had a weird game. He he uh, decided not to, he decided not to kick a 46 or 7 yard field goal in the first half, and he went for it on fourth and three, and he hands it off to Kamara. They don't get it. So fourth and three now again conservative. Like that's a running down now. Didn't work. Mm. Then, like, the next drive, it's almost in his head. It's fourth and two, and they're further back, and they decide to kick a 58-yarder with Rosas, who hasn't made a kick in weeks, and they miss that. Very next play, uh, John Ross uh, with the touchdown. Like, there was another sequence where a penalty overturns a Jameis uh, throw. Very very next play, they put Taysom Hill to throw it deep, and he throws a wounded duck I heard, about 15. Twitter was buzzing about that one. About 15 yards behind an open receiver. I forget if – I think it was Harris, who if he hit him, it was a touchdown, throws it way back. And then they blew – and this is what killed me. They blew all three of their timeouts, like, early in the second half, and they needed them at the end of the game. They could have tried to set up for a game-winning field goal. And they th- those timeouts were gone, like – Two in the third quarter and one early in the fourth. He just seemed like he was on the fritz a little bit. Hmm. Jameis actually played well once he settled into this game. They should have let him throw a little more. It was not a good Sean Payton. Game. Obviously, Greg on tilt right now. I uh, am. Sorry. I, I'm honking. I, I had a lot to say about that game. Listen, it's okay to be the hockey talk, man. They, this is your new favorite team. And I I Who? just want to... Well, the Saints. You love No, I, your you're team. so off on this. No, I'm not feeling team. this emotionally, this one. Um, they're a hard team to figure out right now. I don't, I don't know... I you know I have to watch this one, but they are they are through four games all over the place. 
We uh, do have to give it up to Darius Slayton before we go too. Yes. For the all-time coin flip performance. Really? I think in NFL history, Darius. I mean, not Darius Slayton. I'm sorry, uh, Jabril was Peppers, say, who was out with an injury, limps out there, but he fights through it. He's out for the game with an injury. He fights through it, goes out to midfield, and puts up one of the all-time coin Let's flip performances. You're our visiting team. You have the choice. This is tails. This is heads. Heads is the call. And it is heads. We want that ball. Yes. Kick it that way. I'm confident. We want that ball. <laughs> F them. That was just so good. Almost always when someone says, I'm confident, I'm confident, <laughs> they are not confident. But in this case, I absolutely believed it. Who was that? Jabril Peppers. Jabril, see that? See the Odell trade keeps on paying dividends. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's move on. And this will be a 49-yard. Oh, no, it's on in New York City. Right if he misses, the Jets win. Out of the hold of Townsend. The snap clean. The placement down. The kick on the way. Does it have the distance? It floats left. It's no good. It's no good. He pulled it this left. This is the end of the game. And the Jets win it in overtime on the missed field goal by Bullock. They've got their first win of the season. You know, Bob Wischusen is such a great play-by-play guy. We never hear him on the show because the Jets never win. But they won today. Let me have this, Greg, because it just never happens anymore. Randy, 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 not so dandy. Randy Bullock was wide left on a potential tying 49-yard field goal. 15 seconds left to give the Jets their first victory, 27-24 over the Titans at MetLife Stadium. Nice little home field advantage. Jets fans turned out. I was happy. This was a game, Greg, where it felt like more the same early on, where the, the Titans, who were obviously, they're missing A.J. Brown. They're missing Julio Jones. So you knew... They were going to be up against it from a passing standpoint. They were going to have to lean on Derrick Henry even more than they usually do. And in their early going, it seemed like it was going to be fine because the Jets' offense was just never going to get going. But then it did. The boy who shall lead us showed something here, Greg. I can't wait to go back and look at some of these plays again because he... Those plays, when when you heard the Mormon Mahomes stuff, when Tony Romo said the things that he said... It was a couple of the plays in this game where he keeps his eyes downfield. He scrambles. He's fading towards the sideline. And then he just... And the ball comes out of his hand. Remember in Tecmo Bowl and like the Joe Montana pass would just go... Right into Jerry Rice's hands. Like a couple of these throws. And, the, and there was a big... Uh, I think it was a Corey Davis touchdown where... That was a sick... That was he had his eyes throw. on... Not only did he... You know, it was off platform. He recognized that the safety had cheated up and he pointed to Corey, get your ass downfield, and then drills him with the big throw to put him ahead. And it was uneven because he also missed a couple of throws that could have put the game away. Uh, and it felt like the Titans were going to go and get the Jets, uh, but they got some luck down the stretch. Um, a ball that maybe the tight end, Anthony Ferkser, should have had that could have set him up at the goal line or even to win the game in OT. Uh, the Titans take a delay of game penalty that killed them, that set up the Bullock miss, uh, and the Jets get to celebrate. Um, mm. Also getting to celebrate for the first time, let's welcome my old man, Keith Hansis, back to the podcast. 
First time in the new studio. He's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he gonna say about the game today? What is he gonna say about the game today? Great win by the Jets tonight. The uh, Jets finally breaking into the win column after losing the first three and losing those first three pretty bad. So I think Wilson showed a lot of uh, guts the way he played today. He's been taking a lot of heat in the papers. And, you know, I'm really uh, proud of the way the whole team, both the offense and defense, came together and gutted out a great win. So Jets, Jets, Jets. There you go. Keith Hansis, Greg. Um, this is the progress that we talked about, the progress we hope to see in this game, the Jets being fun to watch, uh, and at the Titans' expense, who they're killing themselves because, like, we need to go up there and beat the Jets. And here they're asking questions about themselves now, too. Right, and they have to give Henry 33 carries. I guess it'll never come back to haunt them, um, his workload, but, man, it's big. Jeremy McNichols, their leading receiver, and Chester Rogers. You would just, if you're Mike Vrabel, you've been around for a while. I know there's a lot of new parts, but you would have liked to have a defense that could, that could close this game out, not give up, not give up this many fourth quarter points. To the Let's Jets. bring in Graver, Justin Graver. He's such a big Titans fan. He's got his own podcast. I'm not here to rub it into you, Justin, <laughs> but I do. I felt like you should have the platform. What What are you seeing from your Titans? How much did this one hurt? I mean, it doesn't hurt that bad to me. Yes, I think if you're an NFL fan of any other team, you can say we didn't have, at least we didn't have the day the Titans had. (laughs) But, (laughs) like, this division is such a mess that I feel like by the end of the season, we're going to forget that this game happened. I'd like to forget it right now, actually. I'd like to pretend this game didn't happen. They are playing for with a big margin for error. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that they can survive in that division, this loss. But it just shows they're another team like the Saints. It's kind of hard, hard to make sense of them right now. But also with the injuries that they're dealing with uh, at the wide receiver position, they got to get healthy because they're just way too, um, they're way too, uh, you know, predictable on offense. And and the offensive line didn't protect Tannehill either. So it felt like every third down was just a sack, like. Every third down was a sack, right? I mean, that was and, crazy. And yeah, two. there was a, a stat from, from uh, I think PFF it was, or Next Gen Stats, that you know the, the Jets had four players with six-plus pressures, which is like the most I mean, most players with that many pressures of any team in five years. So it's not just like one guy beating them. Everyone's beating them play after play. They did have 93 plays, which is outrageous, which makes me a little bit worried about that Jets defense who's about to hop on a, <laughs> hop on a plane. But thank you to the Jets so that we're not going to cover a game with two winless teams. We didn't need any jokes about that. The Jets are coming in with a chance to get to we two got, and Instead, three. it's two win, one-win teams. That's exciting. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the Jets so. defense has been good. Uh, this season, C.J. Mosley's been really good. Quinn and Williams is really heating up now. There's some progress here, and let's see if they can build off it. Let's uh, now take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsors. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, let's move on. They're going to throw here. Heineke's got time. Now slides to his left. Looks at the 35. Back across the middle of the field. And McKissick at the 30. Turns to the 25. Has the corner of the 20. 15, 10, 5. Dive for the end zone. Touchdown. Where's the call? <laughs> Make a call, referees. <laughs> like, man. Touchdown. <laughs> Touchdown, Washington. Great call by Bram Weinstein. WTEM. One of my favorite plays of week four was Tyler Heineke off platform, swings it over to J.D. McKissick, who does the rest, uh, diving into the end zone with 33 seconds to play after a Hail Mary falls unanswered by the Falcons. Washington football team escapes with a 34-30 victory, locking it up for the old Zeuser, but I can't really – I mean, that's three in a row for Zeuser, by the way. That Yeah, this is championship um... – you know, lock runs are mostly about lucky breaks. This was this one of was them. was a big one. So I picked, uh, you know, you never pick a mediocre team on the road. That was mistake number one. Uh, you never typically get behind a defense to deliver a dominant performance when they've shown nothing to suggest that's coming, which I did as well. And that didn't happen. So young and sweaty. Uh, I think I called them on our TV show last week. Uh, yuck and stinky. Something like that. It was Yikes. brilliant. Um, but that's still the case. They're not getting stops, but uh, luckily they were against the Falcons who cannot close out a game. They had no business losing this game, and yet they did. Right. I mean, not only did they give up those two touchdowns, or yeah, those two touchdowns in the final four minutes, they gave up a kick return touchdown to start the second half. So it's like a lot. Like when you get a kick return touchdown, Mm -hmm. I always feel like you better win that game, you know, especially in Atlanta. And they were still at the point where they're down eight going into it. And if you just look at those two touchdowns, that's the Heineke experience in a nutshell. The first one was a ridiculous throw, not in a good way. He just threw the Jameis Winston. I'm falling. I don't care. I'm just going to throw it up. And maybe that's not a bad idea when Terry McLaurin's on the other side. My guy goes six for 123 and two touchdowns in this that's game. Guy. And he just outmuscles the cornerback and, and catches the pop-up with, with 350 left. And then that play with McKissick, that, that's a good play by Heineke. But it also is extremely unconventional. And he's just like running to the opposite side spot. Right, that's been a pick six about 5,000 times in the history of and our And it's league. good. You know, he was... He had his wherewithal enough to spot McKissick in that spot. He knew where his check down was, and there was nothing over there. That's a brutal loss. Uh, Heineke, and this is – he grew up in this area, in the Atlanta area. He completed 23 of 33 for 293 touchdowns. Yeah, some luck was involved. But, he, you know, he's got he's got some juice to him. And I, He's Fitzpatrick light. I mean, this was is. another one. Those were Fitzpatrick throws. Right. And, it, you know, we'll see where Ryan Fitzpatrick is and – where the Washington football team is when Fitzpatrick is potentially ready. But Heineke, I think, is making a case uh, for being the guy right now. And I just want to say this for the Falcons before we move on. Um, But Cordero Patterson, who for years and years, people have been trying to figure out this guy. How do we make him work on our offense? How do we make – he's such a dynamo on special teams. How do we unlock – Patterson, and I guess they have. I guess the Falcons and Arthur Smith have because he became the first Atlanta player since 2018 to score three touchdowns in a game. None of them on special teams, Greggy. 
And he led the team in rushing again, six for 34, <laughs> five for 82 and three. He is like a fantasy juggernaut. And yet you can't help but think like, wouldn't it be nice if Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts were bigger juggernauts? I know they had an okay game this today, but it's like. Yeah, I don't think nice uh, Pitts has yet to find the end zone. And Ridley, who I think a lot of us thought was just going to light it up week after week um, with Arthur Smith there, just hasn't happened yet. So. The Falcons, they head to London to face the Jets, coming off a really a stomach-punch loss. One of those games that, ooh, It's too bad because neither of these teams feels like a 2-2 two and two team, but doesn't matter. Washington's got now a little time to figure some things out. They are a 2-2 two and two team. All right, let's uh, head to Orchard Park. Was it Orchard Park? Allen pumps once, punts twice, fires it now, caught by Dawson Knox at the 5, and he goes into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo! Dawson Knox with the touchdown. That was just some of the fun the Bills had in this game. John Murphy with the call WGR. Tremaine Edmonds had one of Buffalo's four interceptions. And the Bills, again, just beat up on an overmatched offense. This time the Texans. 40-zip the final. Greg, the Bills held Houston to 109 yards of offense. Eight in the first half. Six first downs total. It's their second shutout in three weeks. The the Texans had negative twenty three passing yards in the first half. That, oh. that this may not surprise you, but that was the lowest of any team in any half in uh, oh, at no. least twenty years. Yeah, pretty pretty deep into the game, Mills had more interceptions uh, than completions. And yeah, you could this, remember we were talking. It was like a seventeen and a half point line in this sure. game, and it was like you couldn't make one big enough for Davis no. Mills against this Bills defense. We'll find out more about this defense. Uh, next week they play Kansas City, uh, but I've I've been really impressed by them. They lose Matt Milano, that that hurts. But they have to be feeling great uh, with these two blowout wins in a row heading into that big Chiefs game. Yeah, they're just building momentum. They're building their their steam now. That's building here after that tough week one loss. Now they look like the Bills, and uh, yeah, that's that that is. We have the Chiefs coming up now, week five. Mm-hmm. That it's is Sunday night. Beautiful. That's a great game. Can't wait for that one. Um, and I don't know about Houston. I mean, the Texans, they they were shaping up early on as a little bit of like a underdog story. Everybody thought they would be the worst team in football, and they're fighting week after week. Well, I mean, the longer Davis Mills is the quarterback, you might just see more of this. Right. Ty- Tyrod is going to miss at least one more week because I believe he's on injured reserve. Maybe I'm wrong about that, uh, but he was expected to miss one more week. They they're not going to be competitive as long as Mills is out there. But it it's big. Sanders has surprised me. Emmanuel Sanders week after week uh, has surprised me by being a pretty clear upgrade from John Brown. And they're just leaving him on the field. And that is a tough group to stop when it's Knox, Sanders, Diggs, uh, and Beasley on the field. That is just maybe the best three-by-one set right now in the entire NFL. That hurts a little bit. Smokey Brown was always, a, you know, yeah, we were fans of here on the of him on this podcast, and uh, but it looks like Sanders has really found a home there. Let's uh, stick with the AFC East, uh, and ooh, more trouble for the Dolphins. Wentz takes a shotgun snap, steps up in the pocket. He throws to the left flat, and it is a catch, a contested grab for Mo Ali Cox. He just wanted it more in the end zone. Touchdown! I N D Y. <laughs> Matt Taylor, WFNI with the call. The Colts are alive, kind of. <laughs> Carson Wentz threw two touchdown passes to Mo Alley. Cox, Jonathan Taylor, 
Went over the century mark with a score on the ground, and the Colts got their first W of the season, beating the sputtering Dolphins 27-17. Greg, uh, this was a game Indy obviously needed badly. Had they finally find their way to the win column? Well, sometimes the schedule maker delivers you the right opponent at the right moment. Yeah. And I didn't. I thought the Dolphins were going to win this game, uh, but I realized during this game this was the right opponent at, at the right time. The, the Colts did not pass midfield in this game, Dan, until under five minutes left in the second quarter, which okay. you would normally think, oh, we're in trouble. But no, it was 3 nothing at that point. The, the Dolphins did not move the ball the whole time. They only got that first touchdown drive, Indianapolis, because the Dolphins lined up offsides on a punt. Otherwise, like I don't, I think they would have gone into halftime potentially without having crossed midfield. But after that point, it was one-way traffic. It was the Colts team you kind of expected uh, to see if you're an optimist going into the season. Jonathan Taylor really ran the ball well. They pushed him around for about three straight drives. Carson Wentz made good decisions. They actually hit some big plays down the field, some to their tight ends. One to Jack Doyle was big. The, the Mo Ali Cox made a couple plays. Pascal had 141 yarder. It was enough. It was clean. And the Dolphins offense was just an absolute train wreck I mean, for most of this game. You'll look at the stats and see they got 200 yards and 13 first downs. You'd be like, ooh, that's ugly. But that's only with two garbage time touchdowns. They barely moved the ball for about three quarters. I think they had six first downs and were averaging about two yards per play against this Colts defense, which until this game had really been struggling uh, up until the fourth quarter, and the game was over by then. I mean, you know, Jake Brisket is who he is, but he's also a very capable backup quarterback, and we don't know what Tua is, and we don't know when Tua is going to be back. Um, so this is what it is for the time being. But, you know, you look at their – I know there's not a lot there running back, or it's hard to say what they have there. But Devontae Parker, Mike Giusecki, you have Jalen Waddell there, Will Fuller, who I think hurt himself again in this game. There should be more explosiveness on offense, but we just haven't seen it. Well, they're so afraid to – do these deep, deep dropbacks because their offensive line has been so bad. And the offensive line today was not necessarily the problem, but they kind of max protected from what I could see, did everything they could to sell out and protect Jacoby. And they, they couldn't scheme guys open. He held the ball for a while. It was just, it was tough watch. This, this would be a game. I know we're going to London. Yeah. It's going to be tough to get in all the game pass games, but they have those like, eight-minute version highlights or something? I mean, if you were going to choose <laughs> one, one game for that, this this was not a, a, a fun watch. So it's that type of game. Okay, and <laughs> how did Carson Wentz move, by the way? How was he looking? Better physically? than last week, but not great. They're, they actually they had a called run early in the game because they weren't respecting it, and he picked up about 11 yards, and it, it took a while. You're just like slide, and then he he he's the worst slider ever. He dives head first, <laughs> and because the rule is now that's giving yourself up, you can't fumble. But this is at least the second, maybe the third time where he just dives on the ground like a big galoof, <laughs> and then and then he fumbles the ball. But it doesn't count as a fumble because you're some giving guys just up. don't know. And I think a lot of times it's it ties into their youth. If you played baseball growing up, you know how to slide. If you didn't play baseball, a lot of well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are certain guys. I think RG three comes to mind. Didn't RG three couldn't slide? It would drive West. Didn't crazy. they bring um, then Yankees manager Joe Girardi <laughs> in for like a session? I remember writing like an around <laughs> the league post about ever. that. Um, that's the situation. But yeah, the Colts obviously are still in trouble. But just like the Titans, it's the AFC South. So being one and three isn't a death sentence. 
at Baltimore next week is going to be tough. But then you get Houston at home. Uh, so, you know, who knows? If you find a way to beat the Ravens, who have been a little inconsistent at times this year, you could be 3-3 and, and, and on your feet. The defense showed up. We'll see. It was one game, but this is what Steve Weiss was saying coming into this week, maybe, that the defenses are going to start turning the corner a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, if I'm a Packers fan or I'm a Colts fan, you saw your defense squeeze bad offenses, and you're thinking, okay, maybe they're going to be okay, at least average. All right, uh, let's uh, take a quick break and then welcome in Kevin Patra. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Clock at 6, 5. Going to turn and hand to Collins. Who finds some running room and break free. 10, 5. He's in. Flips at the goal line. Touchdown, Seahawks. Alex Collins is going to do his Irish dance. And well, he should. (laughs) Oh. Patrick, it's bongos time, baby. Uh, let's go. Patrick's like, I, I don't mess with those bongos. Look at that. Alex Collins. He scores. He does his Irish jig. And the Seattle Seahawks. Coast to a 28-21 victory over the Niners. Now that score doesn't tell you Coast, but it was. They were in control of this game, Patrick. Um, can I actually at first... Um, I need to go on the record uh, yes. apologizing for to Erica for last week for making her go back and bleep <laughs> out my swearing tirade. It's now, okay. mind you, I'm not I'm not apologizing for saying those words. Right. Just right. the work right. that she had to extra put in. Okay, right. I Fair. We we call him. that we we call that Kevin Patch a salt of the earth tax, and we know it's there will be some cleanup. But hey, it wasn't. You know. uh... No, Greg. <laughs> Patrick had a classic performance at the Super Bowl like six years ago that we still talk about. Oh, right. That's right. Well, Patrick, we like him, though. He's shooting from from the hip, as they say. I don't even remember what game you're covering at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead, Patrick. The barn burner in San Francisco. Um, I mean, it was really a tale of the 49ers not taking advantage of early opportunities to bury Seattle, who could not get off the ground um, to start the game. Five three and outs to start, uh, negative 12 yards total offense in the first five possessions. And the 49ers zoom right down behind Jimmy G, score a touchdown. You're thinking this could get ugly for Seattle. And then it completely flipped. Uh, Seattle went, it's 21 straight points. It's at one point in the second half or the sec- third quarter. And it just felt like it was over. Mm. Trey, that- Lance, Trey Lance took over in the second half and he couldn't do anything. But he yeah. did anything go other than one huge play. And this is this is just the beginning for Trey Lance now. And this might be the official handoff because even though he didn't really heat up in this game and probably has a lot of work to do in terms of learning the offense and getting comfortable at this level, Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a calf injury and he was pretty despondent after the game. Uh, he said he anticipates being out a couple of weeks. Ooh. Uh, you got the Cardinals coming up here for the Niners and it just seems like now... Uh, Patra, if Lance can put together any type of um, 
you know, momentum over the next couple of weeks, this will be the, the torch being passed. Um, how confident are you that he'll be able to build off uh, this game? Because there were some moments scattered in this game of uh, positive uh, nature for him. Yeah, when he saw the throw and he unleashed it, he's got a cannon. And he had 179-yard touchdown on a busted play. Um, it's just he felt a little hesitant to me, like, to pull the trigger. Like, coming in at halftime, he just doesn't seem ready. Like, he was thrust into a situation that he wasn't ready for. The, the game plan didn't really fit his skill set. It kind of was like, oh, these are the four ru- QB run plays that we have in the playbook for today, so we're going to run them. But it didn't. It wasn't a Shanahan with a mobile RG3 quarterback that we saw. I mean, Shanahan said after the game he looked like a quarterback in his first, you know, opportunity. But I'm having RG3 flashbacks to his first opportunity and go like destroying the Cowboys and such. <laughs> but that was with a so, week to prepare. And Shanahan did right, point out so that they look they this was the game plan for Jimmy G. It was it was Trey Lance behind center the whole right. time, and they were not really running the type of offense you would expect for Lance. It, it's a strange game because I'm just you know looking at the possessions and everything. Seattle had seven three and outs. They only had 234 yep. yards in this game. Oh. Like, ex- explain that one for me. By, like, they got outgained by, like, 200 yards. Oh, yeah, when you have seven, five three outs to start the game, you're, of course, you're, you're already, they only really had two good possessions. Because hmm. um, one of their touchdowns came after uh, San Francisco imploding on special teams and fumbling a kickoff, and Wilson made a Houdini-type play to get out of an almost sure sack and threw a touchdown, and that kind of that put them up two scores, and then they took the foot off the gas, and the next drive after that, they scored again, but it was thanks to a huge penalty. So, like, they really only had two good drives the whole game. The rest of it was, like, four yards and a cloud of dust. Russ couldn't really get anything going. He had a lot of passes behind receivers. Guys weren't making plays. The offensive line struggled to block for the most part. Alex Mm. Collins was probably the most impressive uh, Seahawks offensive player in the game. Wow. And honestly, that's what I saw. He he was running through guys, and that touchdown that you called in the beginning, I don't think he was touched. And he just, like, we – bobbed and weaved his way to the end zone. He's a fun player to root for, given what his history. But overall, I would say the whole game was kind of like this kind of trippy experience because neither team looked like they were revving up for a playoff, to be honest with you. And I know that's, you know, game script and the number of possessions and all that. And you said Wilson played a role in that as well in terms of their ineffectiveness. But I just wonder in like 10 years or 15 years when Russell Wilson is retired, Will Seahawks fans look back and be like, I can't believe there's so many games when Russell Wilson threw 23 passes in the entire game. Like, don't you don't you want to have an offense where you just I don't, I don't want to get back into the let's Russ cook debate, uh, but their 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 need to establish the run no matter what. It's just frustrating when you hear about an offense that really has not been in gear the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think like you you can make these big sweeping generalizations after the first month. But one of my biggest takeaways just from the first month is that the Seahawks and the 49ers really do look like they've got some ground to make up. Obviously, they do in the standings. Two games now, they're behind Arizona and one to the Rams. But just in terms of the firepower and everything that we thought coming into the season, Arizona and in Los Angeles just look like better teams and Seattle and San Francisco were teams that had Super Bowl aspirations coming into the season. They're going to have to be a, a lot different Patrick, I think in the next couple of months. Been very unimpressed with Shanahan's offense so far. We'll see Surprising. if that changes. I know. Yes. I agreed. I think we're all excited to see what can happen with a new quarterback, but it's not necessarily going to be a magic elixir and they're going to be humming, but Maybe they will. That's the fun thing. We get to watch and find out. All right, let's close it out, Patra. 
with uh, some Lions football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like it so it's Lions football, not Bears football. <laughs> Snap, play fake. Nope, they hand That's it off. Montgomery deal. cutting That's inside. Dodging one tackler. Back. Still on his feet as he rumbles, and he's in to the end zone for the touchdown. That's all David Montgomery. That is second effort, nine yards, far side of the end zone. Touchdown, Bears. Jeff Joniak, WBBM. David Montgomery ran for 106 and two scores before leaving with a knee injury. And the Bears followed their nightmare week three with scores on their first two possessions in a 24-14 win over the Lions. Patcher, you were, and that's uh, it was the uh, work of Ricky in the edit to clean up your language. But I know because I follow these things on social media that the listeners they like the passion that you brought to that brown, the the Bears conversation last week and how hideous they were um, as an operation against the Browns. Did you see gains for this offense? Did you see gains for Justin Fields and Matt Nagy and the whole experience as a whole? Well, playing the worst defense in the NFL sure, certainly helps, right? <laughs> it has to. You run over a dead horse. It's easy. There shouldn't be one starter on the Lions that plays for another team. So Whoa. I think that this was a perfect situation. And when we looked at the schedule, when, when Nagy started, kept saying, I want uh, Dalton to start, I want Dalton to start, I want to start. You looked at the schedule and you're like, okay, week four should be Fields. They'll get through the Browns. Dalton will probably get destroyed. And then he has an excuse to go to Fields, right? So this it was would have been the perfect opening script for Justin Fields. The My issue with Nagy was last week, he didn't adjust when that plan went awry. He didn't change anything. This week, we saw more motions. Uh, uh, Fields got out of the pocket. He had all day for, for some throws to make, and it was beautiful. He mm. made some gorgeous throws, deep throws. Finally, this offense um, stretched the field. He had uh, nine, nine of ten passes, completed nine of ten passes over ten yards. Dalton had two for his first game and a half. Like So this was just a completely different offense we saw with Fields actually running a vertical threat and Daniel uh, Darnell Mooney, I'm sorry, uh, was a, awesome to see that aspect of the game come into it because that's where he thrives, going downfield. And I think we're going to see more. We should see more from this, especially against the worst pass rush defenses when he's got time to throw. <laughs> well, that's a rough statement saying that no one on their defense should start for any other teams. And then I went uh, through the list and Romeo yeah. Aquara, of course, would, but he was lost to what sounds like an, a season-ending Achilles yeah. injury in like, this game. And then I went through the other 10 and you could make the argument, Patra. You you really could, which is which is absolutely crazy. I found it funny that you know it was it was a better day, a more sensible day for the Bears offense. And then after the game, there's still so much negativity. Montgomery gets hurt for the Bears, yeah. That's- and then Nagy has to answer these questions about Bill Lazor now calling the plays, and he, you could tell he was getting upset about it who's getting the credit and he was like well it still goes through me and then he also said well and I'm not going to answer any questions about who's calling the plays anymore that's it's not what you want on, yeah. on a winning day that is tough it's not what well, you that's want that's his own fault for playing this whole game where I'm not going to tell you scheme 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 it's his own fault he's buried himself multiple times he had a chance all week to say starting fields we have confidence in this kid and he didn't take it and he didn't take it he's just made every wrong decision there is this game doesn't change that they looked good against a bad team that kept shooting themselves in the foot the whole day. If we want to flip to the Lions and how you can get inside the 10-yard line in your first three drives and score zero points because Ooh. you're that type of team. Um, J- Jared Goff has two fumbles, and then he throws it 35 miles in the air over a guy's head on fourth down. And, and that's the kind of game it was. I just think we what my main takeaway is 
Justin Fields showed what kind of player he can be with his arm, with his elusiveness. He only got hit three times, sacked once. So this was the type of game that you you wanted to see, not the last week game, you statuesque in the pocket. Uh, you know, I, I in a lot of ways, I see Matt Nagy as this season's version of Adam Gase, and it reminds me of uh, late last season when Gase was talking about whether he had the play calling for the Jets uh, over Loggins, and then it was said that, uh, no, I, I didn't, I'm not calling the plays. And like, well, we watched you on the sideline and the camera was on you and you were calling the plays and Loggins wasn't doing anything. And he's like, uh, hamana, hamana, hamana. It's that, that's where the Bears are as, as a, a team right now, just waiting to move on to the next coach, it feels like sometimes. Yeah. And it's, and it's bad because I just don't think that's the right thing for this quarterback. I don't know. I'm giving you giving hey, the next four or five. You're two and two, Bears fans. I know it's a lot of negativity, it's but true. you are two and two. It's true. And you have a good quarterback. You finally have a freaking good quarterback. If the coach can just figure out how to use him properly the rest of the way against uh, good defense. All right, K. Pat. Thank you, buddy. No bleeps needed. All mm-hmm. fire. No expletives. Thanks, dude. Tried. Really, See, you were being nice lot. to Ricky. She was being nice to you, trying to lock up your lions, and just like I love all the love in the air. To love it. Oh, Rick. Rick. I did it for you, Patra. I really next time ask me. Next, next time ask me. What I would have told you don't do that. What, uh, Ricky? What are you doing? Jared Goff outside. Yeah. What no, Ricky it's a doing? it's a mental game because Greg doesn't want me to play, and I'm still gonna beat him. You wait. I'm I'm I'm. What do they call it when you you know in Ted Lasso where he's like, you never asked me if I played darts. Yeah. You never asked me if I play locks. So you just wait. Oh wow. Are you talking trash with being at zero and three? Yeah, this <laughs> is you were, a good I think situation. you were five and fifteen last year or something like that. A, a coin flip would, it's, would do better. I think it's getting to the point <laughs> where we've seen enough, Erica, to know that you're really bad at this. Um, I I try to pick with the smallest um spreads. Don't, don't. now that there's no is. victories in that. Just try to get it right. Stay within as long as you stay. Within seven points okay. of a favorite. All right. Start being a little more conservative because this isn't working. Taking the Lions on the road yeah, is just not no way to live. It was a popular pick this week, but it didn't. didn't well, let's show you what the popular, yeah, yeah, popular pick opinion leads yeah. you sometimes. All right, thank you, Patra. We love you, Patra. Appreciate thank you, guys. you, Ricky, um, for everything today. All right, there it is. The week that was, Greg. What this, a week! This week that is upon us now is our trip to London, England. The Around the NFL podcast returns to the UK for the third time. Uh, It will be me. It will be you. It will be Ricky Hollywood. Unfortunately, Mark Sessler, the decision was made and everyone was on the same page, including Mark, to kind of stay home and continue to recuperate. So he's ready to rejoin us on the other side. So that's a bummer, but also the right move. Right, Greg? It is the right move. No, I'm just thinking about thinking about Mark, and I'm thinking about like he's gonna get in fighting shape, the best shape yes. of his life, and we're gonna close gonna this so season strong with him. And uh, we'll miss him, of course, over in the UK. But we'll, we'll have fun. We'll we'll have fun, and uh, yes, we hit. We're gonna be doing all the fun stuff. We're gonna be at the Jets Falcons game. We're gonna be at Sky Sports. We're gonna have not one but two live shows. Uh, one's already sold out, and there's one more late show that's still for sale. If, if you want to get tickets before those disappear, the top secret comedy club.co.uk. You'll find us the 930 show. Go get tickets and meet us. Uh, heroes, fans, 
interacting, interfacing, Greg. That's what we look to do. Interface. Some some Q and A. I'm gr- I'm great with the interfacing. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, Ricky, are you okay? Everything yeah. okay? Yeah, I'm good. The with the Patriots and everything, you're okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for checking in. Okay, good. What about that other guy? What's the guy at the top of the show? The uh, haughty. What was his name? Shook. Not sh- no. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Shook, not Nick Shook. The guy from the NBC, the fan, the fake oh, fan. Schwartzy. Schwartzy. I wonder how he's doing right now. And Schwartzy from Ashland said, I'll cheer for him when he comes out. But after that, nah. I want some sex. I want to see our freaking linebackers just pummel them and punish him. Yeah, I got. I want to go home. Can we go home? Yeah, let's go home. All right. Let's go to England. Dan Hans is signing off for the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, the pipe. Kevin Patrick coming at you. We're on to England. Heed the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.